how thankful we are that you welcome the beggar, for we all are beggars. We all are in need of that which we cannot find on our own. We're all in need of that which we cannot supply upon our own. But you, Father, are a good God who has provided what we need for this day. As we open up your word and as we look to the wisdom that you have recorded for us in it, I pray that our hearts would be open to learn deeper truths of how you desire to be not just the God of our salvation, but the God of our very lives, and how we can surrender everything to you on this day. And may you have your will, your way in my life, in the life of those who hear your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word, to open your Bible, turn on your Bible app, whatever way you need to do to get to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, and if you are just joining us, maybe you're a guest the first time, or maybe you've, it's been a while since you've been here, uh, we are in the midst of a, of a series, that an initiative actually, that we're calling Project Reach, and, and we've shared that information re- repeatedly, and you'll have the opportunity, if you have questions about that, or if you need more info about that, you'll have an opportunity after the service to attend a little reception to learn more about that. And I'll tell you more about that at the end of our service. But as we've been looking through this, we have um, focused for the last several weeks on some just some, some thoughts about the stewardship of life and, and thinking about how God desires to, uh, to, to move our hearts to be generous and to, to follow His example in various ways as it relates to things like our time or our talents or our treasures or possessions. And I remind you, as I have each and every Sunday, and I'll do it one more time next Sunday, and I may do it many more times as we think about this idea that uh, lest you think that the church always harps on money or always harps on your possessions, uh, that if I were to follow the pattern of Jesus and, and how often he talked about that, every third sermon that I preach would be on that subject. Jesus talked more about this subject than he did any other subject. In fact, he talked more about what's in our bank accounts or what's in our uh, portfolios or what our possessions. He spoke more about that twice as much as he did heaven and hell combined. And so it's an important thing that Jesus wants us to think about. It's an important topic all throughout his word. And today we think about this idea of wisdom and our wallets. And and we're going to look at the book of James. James is wisdom literature. Uh, James is, when he writes, he he speaks wisdom. He addresses several issues, and one of the issues that he addresses in using wisdom concerns stewardship. Let me say this at the outset. The contents of your wallet are not nearly as important as the character of of the person who possesses your wallet. Okay, the contents, what you have in your wallet, that's not important. What is important, and we don't really care anything about that at all, what's in your wallet, the the contents, that wallet, we don't care. 
That's not the purpose. That's not the focus of James. The focus of James is the, the character of the person who, who has that wallet, the, the character of the person who has that which God has entrusted to us. So, so we're going to take our wallet, we're going to take our purses, we're going to take our mercies, and uh, we're going to take them, we're going to take our Bible, and we're going to put them together, and we're going to ask ourselves, what does the Bible, what does James specifically say about our wallets? What does God say about it? Does God have any right to rule over over your wallet? Does God have any room to speak about your wallet? Does God have any right to open up your wallet and talk about your possessions? Stewardship is a big issue in Scripture, and it focuses not just on numbers in a bank account, but the stewardship that God speaks about focuses on all things that God entrusts to us. It, it, it speaks to our time. It speaks to what we do with our lives. It speaks to our talents, how we use what God has given to us, and it speaks to our treasure. It speaks to the totality of our lives and how we invest it for man's good and for God's glory. Now, when we approach this subject, we have to be very careful that we don't approach it economically, that we don't approach it politically, and that we don't approach it socially, but rather we want to approach it biblically. We want to approach it the way God and to understand what God has said about it. When we look out at the world, we think about those who are rich, those who are poor. We think about those who have some, those who have none. We think maybe about those who are somewhere in the middle. But understand that it's possible for a person to be godly and not have anything else. In fact, I think about Jesus' family. Yeah, Jesus himself, what more godly a person can you think of than God? Anybody got one better than that? And you think about Jesus, yet he was a man who did not have a place upon which to lay his head. It's possible to be godly and to not have a lot or anything. It's also possible to be godly and to have much. There are people that, that God, they love the Lord and God blessed them abundantly with stuff. You think about Abraham, you think about Job, you think about those people that God blessed and it's possible to be godly and to have excess, to have extra. It's possible for you to be ungodly and not have much at all. The, the book of Proverbs speaks about people who, who won't work, but they'll just drink and gamble their life away. And it's possible to be ungodly and wealthy. That's possible as well. You think about the, the pharaohs who were not godly people at all, but they had wealth. Or you think about people like the rich young ruler that Jesus used as an example before, where they have a lot of money, they have a lot of power, but the way they get it and what they do with that is very ungodly. Our text in James, as we look at James chapter 5 this morning, James is going to deal with a couple of those groups that we mentioned. Specifically, James is going to speak to those people who are godly, but they don't have much at all, and he's going to speak to those who are ungodly, and they seem to have a lot. This is what he says in James chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Come now, you rich. Now, let me stop here for just a second. I promise we'll not stop every fourth word. I believe that James here is not speaking to believers. 
I believe he's speaking when he says, come now you rich to non-believers, their their riches is based in their identity. Their identity is that they are rich, not James up to this point. He's used the phrase brothers to describe those who are following Jesus. He doesn't use that term here. Similarly, as we'll see in just a second, James is going to tell them that they're going to hell, and that is always a good indication that they're not following Jesus. When someone goes to hell, it's a good, that's a good indication they are not followers of Jesus. These people that James begins to write to, their identity is in their riches. Their self-worth is tied to their net worth. And may I say to you this morning, regardless of if you follow Jesus or not, if your self-worth is tied to your net worth, you're not going to have a very uh, enjoyable life because your net worth is going to change, but your self-worth before God never changes. He always values you. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. James here is talking about hell. That's why he says, it eats your flesh like fire. He's talking about the day of judgment, the last days. James is echoing the teaching of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, which we looked at last week, where Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He gave those instructions, but those that James is writing to here have not heeded those instructions. They are laying up treasures for themselves, and now they receive a rebuke from James. According to what James is saying, they have so many clothes, they can't wear them all before the moths eat them. They have so much gold and so much silver, it corrodes before they can spend it. Now look, it is not a sin to have nice things. It's not a sin to have a lot of things. It's not a sin to have a lot of of nice things, but it is a sin to not use everything for the glory of God. And they are not doing that. So in verse 4, James says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. There are two groups involved in this context. One group, James said, is landowners. The other group is the laborers. And the the landowners are apparently not believers. They don't love the Lord. They don't serve the Lord. The laborers do love the Lord. And and they are receiving tremendous injustice. And they are are crying out to the Lord because of it. These laborers are are hardworking people who expect to get paid at the end of the day so they can go home, provide for their family. They've worked all day, yet they do not receive their pay. 
And when James sees how they're being treated, when James sees the way that the wealthy landowners are treating their poor laborers, there is a sense of righteous indignation that rises up in him. Hence, his tone is quite stern. The laborers didn't own the land. They didn't really have any legal rights. If, if a landowner committed a crime, if a landowner committed an injustice against the laborer, there's nothing the laborer can do. They have no recourse. Their only option is to bring their case to the Lord and trust that God would hear them. Now you look at that and you say, Pastor, what does any of this have to do with me living out my faith? What does any of this have to do with me and my role as a follower of Jesus? Because we look here at these verses and we see how James addresses those ungodly people who seem to have a lot of wealth in our text and we conclude that they are terrible, horrible people. But I want you to understand this morning that it is entirely possible for us to become like them in whatever level of affluence or influence God has entrusted to us. For you see, there are basically two ways that you will look, one of two ways that you will look at your life and what God has given to you. You will either take the position of an owner or of a steward. Every single person will either embrace ownership or they will embrace stewardship. We think in one of those mindsets and we operate from one of those worldviews. Our natural inclination is to think and to live from the owner perspective. But our biblical calling is to live from the perspective of stewardship. With that being said, would you just allow James and what he says to teach us three quick things about our lives. Some wisdom he gives us about what God has blessed us with. The first lesson is this. All that I am and all that I have belong to somebody. Okay, we need to realize this morning that all that we have, that all that we are belongs to somebody. Stewardship begins with this simple principle that all that I am, that all that I have belongs to somebody, capital S, and that somebody isn't me. Now, I'm going to make a statement and I know ahead of time that this statement is about the most unpopular statement, not the most, but among the most unpopular statements a preacher could ever make. And I realize that at the outset, the good news is I'm not trying for some preaching award, okay? So that's the good news. And I know it's not PC, and I'm not a poly. You know what politics are. Politics, a collection of blood-sucking insects. Politics. <laughs> I know it's not PC. And I know that we are, we're being, having a message forced us in our culture in context on both sides of the aisle, and what I'm about to say flies in the face of that. So if you're a Democrat, I expect you to be mad. If you're a Republican, I expect you to be mad. If you're a Baptist, I expect you not to like what I'm about to say. <laughs> Here it is. If I belong to Jesus... I am not my own. If I belong to Jesus, I don't get to call the shots for my life. 
And that changes everything. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Your body is something that you have from God. You are not your own. Don't email, e- email me. Email paul at IWroteTheBible.com, okay? Or God at God.com. And if you get a reply, let me know. <laughs> You're not your own. You were bought with the price, so glorify God in your body. There it is. If I belong to Jesus, I can't belong to myself. And if I don't belong to myself, that means that I am to glorify God. I'm to make decisions that glorify God and benefit man. I'm to make those decisions. And that includes every aspect of my life. Don't think of this as a bad thing. Think of this as a good thing. Because listen, Jesus is way better in control than you are. And he's much better at being in charge than you. And so because I belong to somebody, if I personally belong to Jesus, then everything I have belongs to Jesus, and that should change the way I live. My day belongs to Jesus, therefore I ask him, before I ask anybody else, I ask him how I should spend my day. Y'all got a lot of ideas of how I should spend my day, and some of y'all share them. But it doesn't matter when I wake up how I want to spend my day. If, if I belong to Jesus, my day belongs to the Lord. If I belong to Jesus, my time belongs to the Lord. If I belong to Jesus, my family belongs to the Lord. If I belong to Jesus, the car that I drove to get here belongs to the Lord. And when that reality begins to sink in, it creates not an attitude of entitlement. It creates an attitude of gratitude. When I realize that all that I am and all that I have belongs to Jesus, I learn to quote the great theologian Elsa, I learn to let it go. And I don't have a need to control it all, but I allow Jesus to take charge. All that I am and all that I have belong to somebody. So then number two is true. Because all that I have belongs to Jesus, all that I have is a gift. Okay, all that I am, all that I have belongs to somebody, and that's Jesus. And because all that I have belongs to Jesus, all that I have then is a gift from Jesus. Do not think this morning, do not be persuaded by the world in which we live to believe that anything you have, you deserve. Everything that you have in your life is given to you by God. Everything. If you don't believe that, try breathing without having God fill your lungs with air. Try walking out of this building today without God causing the muscles in your legs to work. Try reading without 
having God cause your mind and your eye to comprehend what you're seeing. It is God who does all that. Well, pastor, that's wrong. You don't know how hard I work. It's God who gave you the ability to work. Pastor, you're wrong. You don't know how smart I am. It's God who gives you that intellectual ability. Everything that you have, your skill set, your brain, your talent, you can refine it and you need to. You can steward it well and you need to. But if God's out of the equation, you don't have anything. Because everything we have is a gift. That's why Paul asked this question in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. It's a rhetorical question. Paul said, what do you have that you did not receive? (laughs) What, What do you have that you did not receive from God. It's why James tells us that every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. If you were to write at the top of a piece of paper, what has Jesus given me? And then start writing. Tell me when you would stop. Friends, you wouldn't. You would spend the rest of your life and eternity declaring and rehearsing what what God has done for you. The people in your life are a gift. I know that's hard to believe sometimes. <laughs> but the people in your life, they are a gift from God to you. The opportunities before you today are gifts of God, from God for you. The possessions that you have on loan from God are gifts of God to you. The resources that you have are gifts that God has given to you. The days of your life, those days are gifts from the hand of God to you. Let us not forget about the gift of all gifts, the greatest of all gifts. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of our sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me tell you something this morning. Every other religion, you don't receive the gift for free. In every other religion, you've got to pay for it, or you've got to be reincarnated and pay God back for the stuff that you did, or you've got to go do a good deed for every bad deed, or you've got to go to purgatory and pay it back what you owe. Let me give you some good news this morning that makes us all rich today. Jesus Christ just gives. He gives his righteousness to me. He gives his holiness to me. He gives his love to me. He gives his grace to me. He gives his mercy to me. He went to a cross and gave his blood and his body for me and didn't ask me to give him anything back. That, my friend, is a gift that reminds us that every single gift we have is a gift to us from God by his grace not that we deserve. All that I am and all that I have belong to somebody. And because all that I have belongs to that somebody, all that I have is a gift. And because, number three, because all that I have is a gift from Jesus, that means I am a steward for Jesus. 
I don't want you to miss this connection, so I'm going to repeat it again for you. If all that I am and all that I have belong to Jesus, and if everything I have is a gift from Jesus, then I must come to the realization that I am a steward for Jesus. I don't own anything. I'm a steward for Jesus. And as a steward, I recognize and I realize that if everything is Jesus' stuff, he ultimately decides what I do with it. It's ultimately his decision. Therefore, I ask him, when I wake up before my feet hit the ground, I say, I quote one scripture because I know it's one of the things I need to do the most. May the words of my mouth and the taste of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my salvation. And then when my feet hit the floor, it's time to ask the question, Jesus, what do you want to do through me today? Not what do you want from me because there's nothing I'm going to give him that's going to make him any more God than he already is. Let you on a secret. God was God before you were born, and he's going to be God after you're gone. God doesn't need anything from us to make him God or a better God. He's the expert in that. We're not. But there are things that God wants to do through us. And if I believe this to be true, whether it's my participation in Project Reach or whether it's my investment in the, the life of someone that needs to hear the gospel, it's everything, it's everything that belongs to Jesus. You say, doesn't that mean that you lose so much? Oh no, it means you gain everything. Because Jesus is much better at doing this thing called life than you and I are. And he has the ability to equip us and enable us to do what he has called us to do. My concern this morning is not whether you are rich or poor or somewhere in between. My concern this morning is whether you are godly or ungodly. You see, Jesus came into the world and he defeated Satan, sin, death, hell, and the wrath of God. And you know how he, he defeated that? He defeated that by giving. He gave his life. He gave up his rights to take on the form of a servant, to come in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. He gave himself. He emptied himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And one day, every knee's going to bow. And one day, every tongue is going to confess. And if you're going to bow before Jesus anyway, and if you're going to confess him as Lord anyway, why don't you just go ahead and bow and confess him now? Because now it brings salvation. Now it brings to your heart change. How many of you in a, in a moment of generosity, you, you've done something generous for someone and, and you didn't need anything from it? Just the ability to do that was a joy and a delight. If you've ever had that experience, the reason that you felt that was because that's the heart of God. 
That is the heart of God. And that's who God has called us to be. And that is how God has called you to live and live out your faith. You don't come to God today with stuff in your hands to bring him anything. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. We come to God today empty-handed to receive Jesus. And when you receive Jesus, you receive a heart like his and hands like his. You receive a heart that desires to be a good steward. And you receive hands that do good for man and bring honor and glory to God. My friend, if you will come to Jesus this morning empty, you will leave with a life that's full. That's my question to you this morning. I'm done. My question to you this morning is, have you come to Jesus in that way? Have you come to the one who has given everything for you? See, here's the thing about gifts. We all like to receive gifts, and and we, most of us, like to enjoy giving gifts to other people. But let's suppose that that I had a gift for you. I don't, but let's just suppose I did. And let's suppose it was the keys to a car that you always wanted. And I had those keys. Again, this is just illustrative purposes only, okay? (laughs) And I had those keys wrapped up in a box, and I said, this is your gift. What good is that gift as long as it's to you, as long as it's in my hands? Nothing. See, that gift has to be received. It's never achieved. It's only received. And today, Jesus offers a gift that's the greatest gift of all, eternal life, a relationship with him. And he offers that gift, and it's not even wrapped up. It's been unwrapped on the cross. And he offers that to you today, but that gift does you no good unless you receive it. You say, Pastor, I want to achieve it. You can't achieve it. To as many as received him, to them he gave the rights to become children of God, Acts 4.12. If there's never been a time in your life when you simply received that gift, would you receive it this morning? You receive it simply by praying to Jesus, talking to Jesus. You confess your sin to him. You confess the fact that you are not worthy for that gift. and You have that desire in your heart to no longer serve that sin, but to receive salvation. And you simply ask Jesus to be your Savior. Ask Jesus to give you the gift that he has available for you today. If you've already done that in your life, are you allowing God's generosity to flow through you? If your heart has been changed by grace, are you extending that grace to others? Are you the hands and feet of Jesus among your co-workers, your circle of friends, your classmates, the people in your neighborhood, the people you know don't like you? Are you being the hands, the graceful hands of Jesus to them? In just a second, I'm going to pray. After I pray, we're going to stand and sing. And as we stand and sing, this will be your opportunity to do any business that you need to do with God. What that business is, I don't know for you. But I do know that the only thing God desires for you to do today is to say yes to whatever he's asking you to do.
And whether you do that in your pew, whether you want to make use of this altar, whatever God has placed upon your heart today, would you simply say yes to this great, good, generous God who's given us all things? Lord, how we thank you that Jesus came and did for me what I could never do for myself. I thank you that you so love the world that you gave. Father, if there's one in this room today that's never received that salvation, would your Holy Spirit continue to speak to them and convict them of their need to cry out receive that gift? For those of us who have received that gift, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden we become super generous people who seek to honor and glorify you. It's a daily struggle, a daily challenge to die to self. Even when I wake up and pray, may the words of my mouth, I taste of my heart be pleasing your sight, O Lord. It may not be within 30 minutes before the words of my mouth are not pleasing. So Father, as we seek to follow you, we must continually place ourselves on the altar as a living sacrifice for you. So today, if there's something in my life, if there's something in the life of anyone else here who follows you that we need to put to death, would you help us today to have the faith and the spiritual strength to do that? Whatever you're calling us to do, may we simply say yes. In the good name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Thank you.